0: so the Old Testament reading is from 1 Samuel, chapter 16, from verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes. Yes. In peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health, And had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon
1: David. Samuel then went to Ramah. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by, decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash round his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea." In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nation will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Our reading from Romans chapter 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: The Prime Minister talked this week about creating a roadmap out of this pandemic. And I'm keen for that roadmap, and I'm pretty sure you are too. But it wouldn't be hard to prove that this hardship, as difficult as it is for many, is one of an infinite amount of hardships that have beset humanity since the time of Adam. I dare say those who lived through the middle and early parts of last century could testify to this truth. Is there then a roadmap out of all hardships, out of all sin, and even of death itself? And is there a roadmap to the future hope, one that Jesus called the renewal of all things? Well, yes, there is. We're in a series called Stops in God's Megastory. The series so far, stop one, was creation, God made the world, he wants it back. And so stop two, God chose Abraham of Ur and said to him that through his yet unborn descendants in the land we call Israel, he'll win back the world that he loves. He'll bless it. Through you, all nations will be blessed. That's how Paul describes the gospel in Galatians 3 verse 8. Now we need that story to understand the whole Bible. That nation then grew and were enslaved and then liberated in the story of the Exodus. That's stop three. We need this story to understand our redemption from slavery to sin. That nation then was given the land that God promised to Abraham through the conquest with Joshua. That's stop four last week. We need that story to understand our fight and against the victory over sin satan and death and so we now arrive at stop five king david and we're in the year 1000 bc that's 3000 years ago now each stop so far in our series has been a high point but king david is as high as it gets in the old testament you see this map it's called a histo map it's rand mcnally and it shows the relative power of one kingdom over another through time you can see there the uh, persians the greeks and the romans of course are huge now up the top there you see that little one look closely lean in get a microscope if you have to that's israel at her greatest that's david this is the kingdom of god you may as well call it a mutton seed. And yet, of course, it was when precisely when David had rested from all his enemies and he was seated on his throne as king that the whole thing began to unravel. God knew that we needed a new and better David. Three quick thoughts before we start. Number one: This is a stop in God's mega story. This is not just a stop to be treated on its own with its own sort of moral imperatives for us because david is not just a character to emulate although in part he is hebrews 11 but rather david is part of the larger mega story of god's plan to bless the nations he's a big part and yet we don't say i wish i fought goliaths like david i wish i penned songs like david i wish i repented like david those things are important but david Functions in this story as a type of the king to come, of Jesus Christ, who fights for us, who sings for us, who restores us. Second thing to say is there's no time to tell this whole story. and There's so many great stories embedded in these chapters. Hebrews 11 tells me I'm in good company. The writer says, and what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you about David and neither do we, except, of course, The writer of Hebrews says that David, among others, his weakness was turned into strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. The writer of Hebrews also says that David, along with everybody in the Old Testament, didn't fully get what was promised. That comes in the resurrection of Jesus. I've got a great Tim Keller quote to conclude this message. The third thing to say is, Perhaps the best way to think about David is in 1 Samuel 13, verse 14. This is before we meet young David. This is his first mention in in Samuel. We're told that the first king, King Saul, is told, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people. David, of course, is a shepherd boy. He knows none of this. But this text has been used to talk about the very admirable quality of each one of us in our own hearts pursuing after God's heart. But I take the former principal of Moore College' position on this. He's my former boss as well. His name is John Woodhouse. He says the expression, a man after God's own heart, has entered Christian jargon usually as a statement about the qualities of the person. In 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, however, The expression is literally, in Hebrew, the Lord has sought for himself a man according to his own heart. This is about the place this man had in God's heart rather than the place God had in the man's heart. In other words, this is not really about what David wanted but rather what God had purposed in his heart. What did God purpose in his heart for this Man, this David. Well, God had decided to take this, if I can put it this way, this ugly concept of human kingship and repurpose it for his own plans for the world. You see, in one eight, God told the Israelites, don't ask for a king like the nations around you. You've already got a king. I'm your king. Any human king that you get will tax you, take your daughters and send your sons to war. But God takes this notion, he grants their request, but he'll repurpose the idea of Messiah or King for his own grand plans to bless the world. In order to help with this talk, I want to take the image of a tree from Isaiah 11. And I want to tell you five things about this stop of God's Messiah, David. I want want you to keep these ideas in your mind. See if you can uh, memorize them now. I want you to think of a seed, an oak, a stump, a shoot, and a forever kingdom. If you've got them in your mind now? A seed, an oak, a stump, a shoot from that stump, leading to a forever kingdom. These are all in your outline that you downloaded. From the website, first a seed. David's beginnings are humble, like Jesus Christ's. David's beginnings start with a humble and very sad story, bitter story of Naomi. The bitterness was turned to joy. It's about the union between Ruth and Boaz that leads to the birth of Obed. Ruth one seventeen. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, actually her grandson. Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. Obeb was the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David. Jesse's a farmer, uh, a shepherd from Bethlehem of all places, and he's descended from Abraham. And so, of course, was David himself a shepherd like his father. Being a shepherd was a little bit like being a carpenter in Jesus' day, perhaps a little bit like being a panel beater in our own day. Good, solid, hard, honest work, but no palace. No title, no privilege. The first king, King Saul, we are told, was impressive. The Bible describes him as having a head taller, or being a head taller than everyone else. When Saul disobeyed God, God said, I've got somebody that I've purposed in my heart to be king. So in our reading today, we hear the story. In 1 Samuel 16 read to us God says to the prophet fill your horn with oil and be on your way i'm sending you to jesse of bethlehem i've chosen one of his sons to be king god doesn't tell samuel who the boy will be samuel i think thinks like we all do in outward appearances and so he meets eliab who's impressive and so samuel thought Surely the Lord's anointed, the king, stands here before the Lord. The word anointed, of course, means to put all on the head, but it means the one that God has chosen to be king. The word anointed in the Hebrew is Messiah. In the Greek is Christ. In English, it's the word king. And then you get this stunning life lesson. The Lord said to Samuel of Eliab, don't consider his appearance or his height, For I've rejected him. Eliab is not the one. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. What do people look at? People look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. All seven sons are impressive, but they're not the one. So in verse 11, Samuel asks Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered, he's tending the sheep. David's dad didn't think David was worth considering. When David turns up, we're told the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him, this is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. David. So David is young, he's born in Bethlehem, he's not particularly that impressive, he ain't a warrior, he's a musician, unnoticed by the leaders at that point. And then you get this turning point. The story of Goliath is a um, gripping one. Goliath is a giant, he's the Philistine warrior, the Israelites who can't stop thinking about outward appearances. They hide from their great foe, and David has, of course, a great victory. But David, David's victory, little David's victory, with a single smooth stone to the head of Goliath, is not a classic hero story of strong beating strong. It's not a story to emulate. Rather, it is the story of it's the beginnings of the story of this future king. It's the story of a weaker person. That's what David is meeting a stronger person. That's who Goliath is, but winning because they trust. The strongest one, God himself. David is acting as future king in the power of the Spirit of God. He's like Jesus. In the story, we're like the Israelites, hiding and needing a victor. But he's a seed, humble beginnings, that he grows to be this extraordinary tree. Let's say an oak, secondly. Of course, I do not have time to tell you about how David entered Saul's service and ended up being abused by his employer. I don't have time to tell you about how David defended Jonathan, made such a strong uh, well, made a covenant with him that eventually saved him. I don't have time to tell you about how David penned the Psalms, some of the most moving songs ever written, or how he became successful in battle, so much so that he became a popular leader, the subject of a pop song in his day. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands, which you can imagine enraged Saul. But after Saul's death, David takes his place as the anointed one, as king at the age of 30. Would you believe it? In 2 Samuel 5, David takes the city of Jebus, from the Jebusites, he renames it Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city of peace, and it's called that today. But when David enters the city in 2 Samuel 5, we're told the blind and the lame are cast aside. But the ark of God is brought in, a palace built for David, while the ark of God remains in a tent. This bothers David. And I need the time. I don't have the time. I hope you'll make the time to read 2 Samuel chapter 7, which, quite frankly, is in the top 10 most important passages, maybe top five in the Old Testament, for God makes a covenant with David. He says, don't build me a a temple. I'll stay in the tent, but one will come after you, a son, and he will build my temple, and your son will remain on your throne forever there's a forever kingdom being promised here now david had a son solomon who built the temple david didn't solomon built the temple uh, a meeting place between god and man the symbol of god's presence but solomon himself died and so did the other kings to follow him a forever king was yet to come i do have time to tell you about jesus who said to the leaders of israel you tear down this temple, you tear it down, and I'll rebuild it in three days. He was talking about his resurrection, of course. Jesus is great, David's greater son. He's an oak, he's a, like it's huge. But it's when David is victorious, when, when he's given rest from all his enemies, when, when you think we've arrived. Right, remember Rob's sermon last week? Go and download it in 1 Kings 8, verse 56, Solomon says that the dedication of the temple, not one word has failed of all the good promises he gave to his servant Moses, but you find out that the great tree of David eventually is cut down and turned into a stump. It's a tragic story. It's a story we'll tell next week because the whole king thing goes pear-shaped, leading to the disobedience of God's people and unwillingness to take the Bible seriously or to even read it in the first place. A hard-headedness a hard-heartedness to God and God sends him into exile in at least two stages, in the 8th century to the Assyrians and in the 6th century to the Babylonians. It turns out that David is not the Messiah. In fact, he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. And in um, 2 Samuel 11 and 12 we find out that when David has rest from all his enemies, when, his, when other men are going to war uh, to keep the kingdom at peace, we find out that David is on the roof of his palace, idle, entitled, arrogant. He sees a woman, her name is Bathsheba, let's name her. She's bathing, he uh, does the right religious ritual, he has her brought into the palace. He sleeps with her, she falls pregnant. I grew up calling it David's adultery, but let's call it what it is. The power imbalance, uh, no sense of consent from Bathsheba. I see no reason to believe that Bathsheba is willing, It's not just adultery, it is rape and it's wrong. And more he compounds all this by lying to himself, She's pregnant, so he devises a plan to bring her husband back from war, hoping that he'll go and be with her and then he can um, hide who the true father is. But Uriah wants to be with his men, so he will not go in uh, to his home to be with his wife. So David then plies Uriah with alcohol. The whole story is so storted that fails. And so David has Uriah sent to die on the front and so he takes Bathsheba into his home to be his wife. And he ticks a box in his mind and says, it's all okay. No one saw. The heart justifies. Um, the mind, What is it? The mind justifies what the heart wants. But God does see. God doesn't look at outward appearances. God sees into the heart, and that means he sees the sin too. Nathan the prophet goes to David and tells him a story, a very simple one like the parables of Jesus. A rich man had many sheep, and one poor man had one ewe lamb that he loved. A rich man has guests, and instead of killing one of his own sheep, he takes the one ewe lamb belonging to the poor man hasn't killed to feed his guests. David is enraged and he famously says to Nathan, You know, who is this man? Bring him to me. This man deserves to die. And David says the worst and best four words ever. Nathan says to him, You are that man. You are that man. It's the worst news ever because. He finds out, like we do when we properly listen to the gospel, that we're, a, we're sinners deserving death. And perhaps it's the best news, because like us, when you find out the truth about yourself, and you're willing to take off the mask, when you hear those words, right? you are that person. You're the sinner. You get a chance, a second chance and a third chance. Because of God's unfailing love, to return to him. So David famously penned Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wipe them out, and restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Who of us has not prayed that prayer from the heart? And if you haven't, it's time to do so. David's sin then unravels the house of David. And within a couple of hundred years, the people of Israel are in a new slavery, called into exile. The tree is cut off. It's a stump. But all is not lost because in exile comes promises. This is all next week as well. There's a shoot. In the middle of the exile comes a word that we read each Christmas. A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, Isaiah 11 and from his roots a branch will, will bear fruit. Like the seed of David, it won't be impressive, but the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus. This one will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide with what he, what he hears with his ears, which every judge has to do. It's the only way judges in our world can do it, but this judge can see the heart. With righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And he'll judge the arrogant with a rod. And then you get this picture of blessing. The wolf will lie with the lamb. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand in the viper's nest. He won't get hurt because they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord in the same way that the waters cover the sea. That's God's vision for this planet and it's our vision here at Church Hill. And then look at this, the promise written hundreds of years after David, hundreds of years before Jesus. In that day, the root of Jesse, that that, uh, shoot from the stump, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Can you see the promise to Abraham, a blessing to the nations? This shoot has a name. His name is Jesus. Three weeks ago I said Jesus was the terminus. I was wrong, I repent. I also said that Jesus is central station because the train arrives eventually at Jesus, but it keeps going on in mission. Because secondly, we get, or last, lastly, fifthly, we get this promise of a forever kingdom. Jesus said, Matthew 13, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, smallest of all seeds, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Consider Jesus Don't look at outward appearances. Consider Jesus and see God's heart. Jesus was born in the line of King David, born in Bethlehem. He was pitted against a king not after God's heart, uh, Herod. Jesus truly shepherded his people of Israel. Jesus, of course, triumphantly entered Jerusalem. And when he entered Jerusalem in the name of David... In the name of the Lord, when he entered Jerusalem, Mark chapter 10, he healed a blind man on his way in. This is a new and better David. Jesus went to war, not against Rome, but against sin and death and Satan. And he won, not with something laughable like a smooth stone to the head, but with something equally laughable to those who are perishing, a Roman cross, which is the victory of God. And this Messiah, Jesus, he treats women properly with the respect they deserve as people, humans made in the image of God. He knows the will of God. He knows that desires aren't king. And this Messiah will not just be another human king to tax you and to take your daughters and send your sons to war. This is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, This is God the Son, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King, who doesn't take and take, but gives and gives. He gives his own life as a ransom for many. This is great David's greater son, the one that David famously calls right, his son. He famously calls him Lord, Mark 12. Jesus' resurrection is his kingship writ large. Paul in Romans 1 says of the gospel regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And since he's our Lord, we follow him. That's what we do. Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands, but Jesus rules over all. And then we start on mission to bring Blessing to the nations. Romans 15, so important, quotes the root of Jesse. In it, the argument is made, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, people like me, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will put their hope. And if you've seen that stunning video of the Samoans singing in Hobart, Uh, a hymn, you'll see what it looks like for blessing to come to the nations. Let me close then with a quote, quote from Dr. Tim Keller in New York City. He makes the point that stop one, creation, leads perfectly to stop five. He says, the resurrection was indeed a miraculous display of God's power, but we should not see it as a suspension of the natural order of the world. No, this is about the creation. Rather, it was the beginning of the restoration of the natural order of the world, the world as God intended it to be. The resurrection then means not merely that Christians have a hope for the future, but that they have a hope that comes from the future. The Bible's startling message is that when Jesus rose from the dead, he brought the future kingdom of God into the present is there a roadmap out of all the hardships, all the sin, and even of death itself? You betcha. In Romans 15, Paul concludes with these words May the God of hope then fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope
0: by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.